we have come today to magnify the name of Jesus. The name that is higher than any other name, for there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. As we continue to worship our risen Lord and Savior, I want us to consider this morning the connection, the connection between the resurrection of Christ and our regeneration. What it means, as Scripture says, to be born again, to be given new life. So today's Easter sermon is titled, The New You, Resurrection and Regeneration. The other day, a New York Times article caught my eye. It was titled, How to Feel Alive Again. It was based on an interview with Catherine May regarding her latest book, Enchantment. And in the book, she describes how certain actions that we can do even on a daily basis can fill us with wonder and awe. She talks about how even uh, examining, looking closely at a bug in her garden can absolutely fascinate her. And maybe there have been times when you too have been fascinated by the littlest things you take time to observe, or maybe even the greatest things that you can observe in the sky. Ms. May describes how these actions can make her feel alive again. And she said the key for this, for you to experience this, is to find what soothes you. It may be going on a walk. It could be visiting an art museum. It could be watching the shifting clouds. It could be going to a place of worship. It could be staring at the moon. Now, some of these suggestions on an everyday practical basis aren't bad at all if you see them in the right context. But as I read through this interview based on this book, it occurred to me that our greatest need is not to feel alive again, but whether we realize it or not, our greatest need is to be truly alive for the first time, to be spiritually reborn, to become alive in Christ. According to Jesus himself, the new birth is a must. And I want to convince you of that this morning. What the Bible calls the new birth or being born again or being born from above is an absolute necessity for us. In John 3, Jesus said to one of the most religious leaders of his day, one that would have been highly respected across the land for his knowledge of the Bible and his moral code by which he lived by, Jesus said to him, you must be born again. Jesus said, unless one is born again, he cannot enter, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Why must we be born again? Why is it that some of the most moral and religious people we know, even they must be born again? Well, God's Word gives us the reason. And it's a sobering one. The Bible says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. This is God's diagnosis of our spiritual condition. And it's a dire one. The Bible has a clear and devastating message about the state of our souls. 
my intent in saying this is not to spoil your Easter celebration. It is not to rain on your resurrection parade. The reason that Scripture emphasizes our dreadful state is so that we might know what we need and then shout for joy when God gives it to us. So stick with me. Two times in Ephesians 2, we are told that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Now, Paul uses the past tense there because he is describing people who have come to know Jesus as their Savior. They have believed in Him for their salvation. But in describing their former condition, this is what Paul the Apostle has to say. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I want you to ponder those words for a moment. Paul is not talking about being spiritually or physically dead. He's not talking about even being morally lifeless. We're not dead in the sense that we cannot do certain things and that we cannot sin because we can. And in fact, we do all the time. We are quite active in that regard, according to this very passage. This very passage that says we're dead in our trespasses and sins just shows us just how much alive we are to sin and how active we are in sin. Paul says here that we are walking in disobedience. We're following the ways of the world, even of the devil. That we're carrying out the evil desires of the body in the mind, satisfying our own sinful cravings. We are very active. We are very alive in that regard. But the Bible describes this as being spiritually dead. We are, in a sense, the walking dead. God in Holy Scripture gives us multiple reasons why we must be born again. John Piper enumerates these in his excellent book on regeneration called Finally Alive. I'm going to give you these reasons in rapid-fire succession for the sake of time with this scripture reference next to it so that you know this is not Pastor Matt's opinion. This is truth straight from scripture. Why must we be born again? Because apart from the new birth, number one, or A, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We just reviewed this from Ephesians 2. That is to say that we are unresponsive, just like a dead person would be. We are unresponsive to God and to Christ and His Word. Secondly, apart from the new birth, we are by nature children of wrath. Our problem is not just the things that we do. Our problem is what we are, our very selves by nature. A guy at the gym told me the other day, my biggest problem is me. And I told him, that's true of all of us. It's true of all of us. Piper points out the significance of the phrase, children of wrath, saying, quote, the wrath of God belongs to us the way a parent belongs to a child. 
Our nature is so rebellious and so selfish and so callous to the majesty of God that His holy anger is a natural and right response to us. End quote. Thirdly, apart from the new birth, we love darkness and hate the light. That's another reason we need to be born again. That is to say that we're not neutral when it comes to the light of God's truth. The Bible says that we naturally resist it when God's truth approaches us. And we're also not neutral when it comes to the darkness of temptation. We're actually drawn to it. When it envelops us, we actually enjoy it for a season. We embrace it. Fourthly, apart from the new birth, we are unable to submit to God or to please God. Without the Holy Spirit's intervention, our minds are naturally resistant to God's authority. So resistant that we will not and therefore cannot submit to Him. That is how dead and dark we are naturally toward God until God causes us to be born again. Next, apart from the new birth, we are unable to accept the gospel. Paul says in Ephesians 4.18 that unregenerate people are darkened in their understanding and separated from the light of God, the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. Compare this with 1 Corinthians 2.14, which says the natural person, that is the person that's been physically born but has not yet become spiritually alive, they're unregenerate, cannot cannot receive the truths of God. It sounds foolishness to them, and they cannot understand them. The mind of this person justifies the rebellion in their heart by regarding God's truth as foolish. That is to say, our natural preference for sin is so strong that we cannot see the truth of God for what it is. It's like a natural defensive mechanism. I love my sin so much that I cannot allow God's word to be true. Let it convict and change me. And we're not even aware of this that happens automatically within us. So depraved are our natures. It's a real inability, but it is not a coerced inability. It's a real bondage, but it's not a bondage that is forced upon us. It's a slavery that we ourselves put into because we are so naturally opposed to God. The unregenerate person cannot receive God's truth because he will not. Apart from the new birth, we're unable to come to Christ or embrace him as Lord. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Mean it and, or say it and mean it, that is, right? I mean, an actor on a stage, a hypocrite sitting in church can say Jesus is Lord. They do it all the time. But they can't say it and mean it because apart from the Holy Spirit, apart from the miracle of the new birth, a spiritually dead person cannot celebrate the lordship of Jesus Christ over his life unless he has been born again by the Spirit of God. Apart from the new birth, we're also slaves to sin. Apart from the new birth, we are also slaves to Satan. 
John Piper points out, quote, this is one of the most terrible things about spiritual deadness. Our deadness is not unresponsive to the devil. It is perfectly in tune with the devil. The unregenerate may scoff at the very idea of a devil, and of course nothing is more in line with the father of lies than the denial that he exists. End quote. And apart from the new birth, no good thing dwells in us. Romans seven eighteen. You say, now wait a second. I know a lot of non-Christians that do a lot of good things. And that's true in a humanitarian sense. But friends, our minds, our bodies, our souls have been created by God to bring Him glory. And when we use God's gifts, which is everything in this world that He has made, which is everything in the world, everything in the universe, when we use these gifts without relying on God's grace to do good things for His glory, then we are prostituting God's creation using these things to magnify ourselves and make us look good instead of showing off the worth of God. That's quite a list, isn't it? Boy, that's put a real damper on my Easter celebration. (laughs) But remember what I said at first. God shows us what we truly need so that we can shout for joy when God gives it to us. And so I've laid before you briefly, but hopefully compellingly, the case of Scripture regarding our natural condition. But listen, we must understand why we must be born again. Self-improvement won't work. Dead people cannot improve themselves. Dead people need one thing before anything else can happen, and that is they must become alive. They must become spiritually alive. They must become born again, born from above. And this is where the good news comes in. This is where God himself enters the picture. A moment ago, I mentioned that in Ephesians 2, we are told two times that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. But we only looked at the first instance in verse 1. The second statement appears in verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So what I love about verses 4 and 5, thank God that it begins the way it does. But God. Because here we see not only the diagnosis of our condition, but the remedy. The diagnosis is we're dead in sin. But the remedy is life in Christ. And God gives us that remedy. Scripture shows the connection between Jesus' resurrection and our regeneration, our new birth. You might have picked up on this in the passage that Pastor Mike read just moments ago from 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see the connection in that verse between Jesus' resurrection and our regeneration, the new birth? 
do you see also how Scripture there emphasizes that this is God's doing? Just as this is emphasized in Ephesians 2. Therefore, because it is God's doing, the, the new birth is not only a must, but the new birth is also a miracle. Because God is the one who regenerates us. God regenerates. Regeneration is a sovereign act of God in which He imparts new life to us. It's a sovereign act of God, a miraculous act of God, by which God Himself imparts new life to us. Just as we did not choose to be physically born and to become alive, even so we did not choose to be spiritually born and to become alive. It is God's doing, not ours. Now that might raise a couple of questions which are natural, so stick with me because I'm going to answer them. The question is, how did God make this happen? Peter points out that the miracle of regeneration involves three miraculous works by God. It was all in the passage that Pastor Mike read to you moments ago. I'm just going to hit a couple of, or uh, three uh, couplets or um, uh, portions of this text for you to consider. Three works of God. Number one, God ransomed us by the blood of Jesus. How did God make us born again? How did God regenerate us? Number one, He ransomed us by the blood of Jesus. We focused on this just a couple of days ago at our Good Friday service. And Peter emphasizes this in verses 18 and 19 of chapter 1. He says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. You might recall in the Gospel of Matthew, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus said, He declared, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Elsewhere, Jesus says, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to raise it up. This charge I have received from my Father. The blood of Christ, as we sang about this morning, is infinitely valuable. Therefore, it can never lose its ransoming power. The life that the blood of Christ obtains lasts forever. So how did God cause us to be born again? Well, He ransomed us by the blood of Jesus. Secondly, God raised Jesus from the dead. Peter talks about this in verses 3 to 5. We just reread verse 3, but I want you to listen to verse 3 again, this time with verses 4 and 5 added in. I'll read it this time from the New International Version. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And that is to say the new birth is something that happens in us 
when the Holy Spirit takes our dead heart and unites us to Jesus Christ by faith so that Jesus' life becomes our life. And that's the central point of today's sermon. God supernaturally gives us life by connecting us to the resurrected Christ through faith. Leave that up there on the screen a moment and ponder those words. It's the central point of today's sermon. I hope you remember that if you forget everything else. God supernaturally gives us life by connecting us to the risen Christ through faith. In 1 Corinthians 15, a passage that has already been referred to a couple of times this morning, Paul plainly states, if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless, and you are still guilty in your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And our hope in Christ, if it is only for this life, then we are to be more pitied than anyone else in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Thank God He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So how does God cause us to be born again? How does God regenerate us? First of all, by ransoming us from sin and death by the blood of Jesus Christ. Secondly, He does it by raising Jesus from the dead. And then the third miraculous thing God does is He calls us into union with Christ. Listen again to verses 23 to 25. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower fails, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So the new birth happens through the word of God. Elsewhere, Paul writes, Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And this word that was preached to you is good news from God. So we know that we have been born again when we believe God's word that Christ died for our sins, that God raised him from the dead, and that we have new life by trusting in him for our salvation. If you believe God's word, then you know that you have been born again. Otherwise, you would not believe. Otherwise, you would not embrace Jesus as your Lord and Savior and as the treasure of your life. So the new birth is not only a must, the new birth is a miracle. God is the one who regenerates us. But listen, we respond. God regenerates, yes, but we respond. That is our involvement in this. Your involvement in the event of the new birth is to exercise faith. That is your response to God's regenerating work. Faith in the crucified and risen Son of God as the Savior and Lord and treasure of your life. Your act of believing and God's act of begetting, giving you new birth, are simultaneously. Are simultaneous. They happen at the same time. God does the begetting and you do the believing. God regenerates and you respond. 
And this is very important. To understand that God's begetting is the decisive cause of your believing. Because a dead person can't believe anything. A dead person can't do anything. God's begetting is the decisive cause of your believing. So we can't take any credit when it comes to our salvation. We believe because God caused us to be born again. Now if you have a hard time thinking of one thing causing another thing, and yet these same things being simultaneous, got an illustration for you. Think of fire and heat or fire and light, right? The moment you have fire, you have light. The moment you have fire, you have heat. But we don't say that the light causes the fire. We don't say that the heat causes the fire. We know that the fire produces the light. The fire produces the heat, even though it happens simultaneously. And that's how it works in the new birth. God regenerates and we respond at that same instant, at that very moment. And in that moment, we become spiritually alive. God supernaturally gives us life by connecting us to the risen Christ through faith. So what does this mean for us, practically speaking? Four things, four takeaways, if you will, from these truths from God's Word. Number one, it means we must believe in order to be saved. We must believe in order to be saved. The Bible gives a command followed by a promise in Acts 16.31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Number two, it means that left to ourselves, we will never believe. Dead people don't have the capacity to believe. They are incapable of changing their minds, let alone their life. That's why we need the Lord. Thirdly, it means, this is great news, that God, who is rich in mercy and love and grace, is the decisive cause of your faith. God is the decisive cause of your faith. If you believe in God, it's because God beget you. If you responded to the truth of the gospel in faith, it's because God has regenerated you. And fourthly, it means, according to 1 Peter 1.22, that the evidence of the new birth is love. A genuine love for God. A genuine love for neighbor. Especially for those who belong to God's family like you through faith in Jesus Christ. Ken Taylor captures the gist of Peter's point by paraphrasing 1 Peter 1.22 this way. Now you can have real love for everyone because your souls have been cleansed from selfishness and hatred when you trusted Christ to save you. So see to it that you really do love each other warmly with all your hearts. If you were not a believer when you came to church this morning, I pray that you will leave a new person. I pray that hearing the good news that was preached to you this morning, not just, you know, the diagnosis of your condition, but God's glorious remedy in Christ, I pray that you will leave a born-again person. I pray that you will leave having found new life in Christ. 
I pray that you will leave with, with Jesus now being your Lord and your Savior and your treasure. And therefore, I plead with you. I plead with you to obey God's word by believing in Jesus Christ. Receive him as the Lord and as the Savior and as the treasure of your life. Your life will never be the same. If you are already a believer, rejoice. Rejoice just not in the resurrection, but rejoice in what the resurrection means for you. It is because Christ is resurrected that you are regenerated. God did this by ransoming you with the precious blood of His one and only Son. God miraculously regenerated you by raising Christ from the dead and by calling you into union with Christ by faith. If Christ has transformed your life, if you are spiritually alive, if the Holy Spirit, the the Spirit of holiness by which God raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then let others see the light of Christ in you. Let them see the life of Christ in you. Love each other warmly with all your hearts, with a sincere brotherly love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Do good unto all people, and especially those who are of the household of faith. For Jesus said, by this all people will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another, as I have loved you, so you ought also to love one another. Let your light shine before others in such a way that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. How do I let others see my good works without bringing glory to me, without talking about how great Matt Fletcher is and what a good guy he is and how he'll give the shirt off his back to people, etc., etc.? Not that they would necessarily say that about me, but about you or anybody else. How do we do good works in such a way that people glorify God instead of us? That can only happen as we tell people about the good news of Jesus. As we tell people where we would be without Him. As we tell people the difference that Jesus has made in our life. As we tell people the good news about Jesus so that they too can be born again. Not just feel alive in a fleeting moment, but be truly alive for the very first time and for all eternity. Let's pray. Father, uh, such a short time spent in your word hardly scratches the surface of the great salvation that you have given us in Christ Jesus. I pray that our time in your word this morning would would not be the end all, but would become the springboard for further study, for further reading, for further reflection and rejoicing in the great salvation that you have given us through the resurrected Christ. Father God, we thank you that you did not leave us in our sinful, dreadful state, but in your great love and mercy and grace, you rescued us. 
you ransomed us. You sent your own Son to deliver us from sin and death through His own death and resurrection on our behalf. And that's why we say with Peter, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again through a living hope by raising Jesus from the dead through the resurrection of Christ. Father, I pray that as we close out our service in these next couple of moments, that we would sing with fresh appreciation and joy of the new life we have in Christ. And Father, I pray if anyone here has not yet believed in Christ, that today would be the day of their salvation. God, if you regenerate, they will respond. Help them to do so by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this, that you might be glorified through Jesus Christ, your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.